Hi, this is Scott Roberts of the Dexter Podcast, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as we venture into the world of entertainment and discuss a variety of topics, from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking, Spider-Man, 2002, directed by Sam Raimi. Red and Blue has ties to many superheroes bugs, elements, and adjectives galore make up names that mean so much to so many. There are many heroes, millions of stories, and even more fans that will profess that their favorite superhero of all time is Spider-Man. The Two Guys Talking podcast had the pleasure of reviewing Spider-Man 3, featuring the not-so-stunning Venom, Emo Parker, and, well, a bunch of other entertaining tidbits that still to this day make up a great entertaining movie review. The fact remains that while Spider-Man has been around since the 1960s, in a variety of incarnations, it all started yet again in 2002 with the red and blue smart aleck, now wrapped belovingly around Tobey Maguire with Kirsten Dunst as the gorgeous Mary Jane, and a number of incredibly recognizable personalities as Spider-Man arrived on the silver screen. It's time to review Spider-Man! Directed by the director that gets Spider-Man, horror genius Sam Raimi, 2002, here on the Two Guys Talking Nostalgia Engine. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm David Creed, your other host. David, this has been a review a long time coming. We've been talking about this since, you know, the the giant flood of comic book movies. It started kind of back when Spider-Man came out, because this was kind of the, this is the one that threw it out there and got gargantuan money. X-Men came before it, there's no doubt about it. And then X2 came on the heels of this one. But this is the one that started the waterfall. It, I think, it really is. I, I think that when Hollywood got a good look at what could be done if you put the right people and the right money behind one of these projects, mm-hmm. uh, once again, cash registers ring, Hollywood jumps on board. It really is, yes, we did have the X-Men that came before it. And, of course, we can list a litany of other superhero and superhero-esque movies that mm-hmm. were even prior to that. But none of them really sold the kind of money that Spider-Man did when it rolled around. And I think other than maybe Batman and then Superman before it, in whatever incarnation you want in your Superman. Right. You didn't, you just, you didn't see the flood. No. You didn't see the flood. We didn't have a super popular across demographics hero as big as Spider-Man that hit with as much punch as this movie did. Right. David, there's no doubt about it that this was a watershed moment inside of comic books. I'm going to love the review of Spider-Man 2002 directed by Sam Raimi here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast. Sponsored by Sprint's Relay Missouri, Acoustica's Mixcraft Recording Software, and Streetscape Magazine. Two Guys Talking Spider-Man. The now, there are many movies that feature hype in regard to Hollywood and movies and posters. This is the only one that I know that kind of wedged itself into national, if not world, tragedy 
with the trailer that was released for Spider-Man. Do you remember that trailer, David? Yeah, in late 2001, the producers had created sort of a little short, a very extended commercial, if you will, that contained absolutely no footage of Mm Spider-Man and no footage they planned on using in the movie, where some villains rob a bank and escape in a helicopter, only to be caught in a giant web that was unfortunately strung between the two towers of the World Trade Center Mm -hmm. in in Lower Manhattan. Mm -hmm. As soon as the tragedy occurred... That disappeared entirely. The mm-hmm. posters that had the giant web between the two towers disappeared. Gone. The uh, the reflection inside of Spider-Man's visor <clears throat> with the twin towers in it gone. Gone. They went back, and I I think they even had to re-edit a couple of scenes for the from the film mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to eliminate them from the skyline. So yeah. yeah, it's very very. It's something that it's something that I always remember. I will always remember seeing that commercial because one how tied it was with the tragedy, and two, how abruptly it vanished. Mm -hmm. And a new marketing campaign rolled in once everything started to return to a bit of normalcy, I think maybe in November of that year, because there was a lot of everything disappeared. I mean, uh, the marketing for for this particular movie, I don't seem to remember hearing any more about it until maybe around Christmas. Yeah, not being a music aficionado, what I remember from that trailer, and that one in particular, was, I'm gonna take you on a roller coaster. It was awesome. Except that now you don't get to see that. Right. Inside the show notes for this podcast, but if you go over to uh, Two Guys Talking forward slash Spider-Man, you'll be able to see that, as well as the listing for all the rest of the movies, the second one that we're going to get to review here. And then, of course, our third review that's already been recorded, right, in fact, right after that movie came out, is when we recorded that one and pushed that one through. Those are all available over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Spider-Man, as well as that trailer, the link to it, that is available on YouTube that we have gloriously linked to. Be sure you go and see that. And if you were a kid back when this movie came out or you weren't even born yet, and now you can go and see that trailer that you've never seen before, it's something special. It definitely had the flavor of what was going on inside of this film. And I think really this, the second, the second film in particular, because there is a whole hog bank robbery that hap- that happens inside the second film. Right. And it's got that same great Raimi flavor. It's good stuff. Where did you see this movie, David? I saw this movie where I see almost all of my films. <laughs> we need to get a sponsorship right. <laughs> I do. I'm telling sure. you, the St. Charles Werenberg 18 Theater out here off of Highway 94 in luxurious St. Charles, Missouri. Yeah. It was, I saw it on their biggest screen. Mm-hmm. I saw it opening night. I seem to remember my friends and I waiting in line. Yep. For the midnight showing or whatever, the buildup for this movie, as far as the you know, the bantering I had with my friends mm-hmm. and the going and reading of everything we could find on it, uh, once again there wasn't nearly so much internet hype back in 2002 as you would get for a movie today, where you couldn't possibly open a browser without being inundated with slideshows of pictures and spoilers and what have place, you. Yeah. So there was a lot of a lot of hype just in my my community of friends mm-hmm. and the, the people that I knew that loved not only the comic books but cartoons mm-hmm. and everything else that had come along. Spider-Man is one of those iconic things that the idea that they were actually going to do a Spider-Man movie and it looked from all intents and purposes like it was going to be done well and not like the and really crazy, work. horrible 70s thing yeah. that we remember, yeah. it just blew our minds. Yeah, I, I was absolutely, it was my first digital movie, actually. The first time I saw this movie, I saw it in digital format, the, the you know, the real digital, realist digital, and it was over at the Galaxy. Yeah. It wasn't the, the mammoth screen, because that one wasn't digital yet. It was one of their two digital screens that they had. The room held 250 people. And so, I mean, it was a, it was a, 
wonderfully large theater. The picture was wonderful. Uh, it reminded me very much of my plasma screen that I have at home, where it's that absolute clear as clear as a bell picture that you can see. The difference was that it was inside the theater and it was now huge. It was this giant, you know, two-story screen that was inside of this theater as opposed to just in my living room. And it was it was stellar and glorious. Loved it. Two guys talking. Spider-Man. No money. And so we arrive at probably my favorite portion of every review with co-host David Crete. We talk about the money. The money. 2002 was, uh, this was not the, the, the first movie to arrive that had giant corn combines of cash right. included on it. Do you have any idea what this made domestically, David? Um, like total domestic haul for this film? I, I, you know, it's got to be something huge. It's got to be $300 million. $300 million. Pretty close. Really? $403 million. Wow. For, in fact, 404 will go. $404 million just domestically to date. <laughs> wow. That's gargantuan. It's, yeah. it's a huge amount of money. Now, it's not nearly as huge as the money you see with, say, the most recent Pirates excuse of a movie that was released <laughs> on Stranger Budgets or whatever the right, thing is yeah, called. Right, yeah, I think so. But uh, to date, that is just gargantuan. It is a huge number. How about foreign? Do you have any idea foreign? Uh, well, uh, from having messed this up so many times, I've, <laughs> I've learned that generally the foreign take is more than the, the uh, domestic take. Okay. So I'll go with $500 million foreign. $500 million. You're only, what, $75 million off. Ugh. So it was $418 million. So a grand total of $822 million total so far for spider-man and i've got to tell you this again is very much like just about any of the good comic book movies one of those movies that if i'm walking by my television and doing something else yeah. and it's on i'm sitting my ass down and i'm watching it all the way through yeah no through matter the commercials no whatever matter else what point it's at in the film <laughs> i will finish i will finish it from that point it really is and it's it's one of those we need to do a series of movie reviews that, that that's the basis it's the one where you accidentally walk by and whoops, it's Die Hard 2 that you got to watch the entire rest of. Right, right. And because uh, there are, there are so many movies like that. But it just, again, a gargantuan corn combine of cash for Spider Man with Tobey Maguire, directed by Sam Raimi, 2002. Two guys talking. Spider Man. Ah, good. <laughs> David, there's clearly so much to talk about that's good inside this movie. We're not possibly going to be able to talk about them all. No, absolutely But not. we're definitely going to hit some of the bullet points here because this was a grand film. The first one, of course, is perfect emulation of page to screen. There are many movies that have gotten it right. I think I would hold up just about any of the newest Batman incarnations, including the one that's coming up in 2012, again, The Dark Knight Rises. Those are wonderful iterations of what I think Batman is. But this one, literally, I can go, look at this comic book. Oh, wait, look, the comic book hath turned to life and it's moving. Yes. And there are very few that I can go look at and point at this and then go and look at it on the movie screen. Right. We talked and, about uh, when we reviewed uh, the Captain America film yes. that just came out last, mm -hmm. uh, last summer. Mm -hmm. the, exact same, the exact same principle mm -hmm. behind it of you know, if you were to take this comic and make it real – this is what it would look like. Very much and, so. And, you know, with a few minor nitpicks that we'll get to later. By it, David. There really is, <laughs> this is really the caricatures, the portrayals of the people, the locations, 
the scenarios, the visages, the costuming, everything just just sang Spider-Man. Absolutely. All of the flavors inside of Spider-Man, of every incarnation inside the comic book, were all wrapped into the shape of Spider-Man's head inside this movie. Yeah. I kid you not. You don't ever see jowls moving because obviously they had some sort of helmet on Spider-Man. But the helmet that they were using for Spider-Man was the absolute essence of what this movie was in regard to being a comic book movie. And it was just wonderfully done. Perfect A number one. (laughs) Sam Raimi and company and the car. Now, for those of you that are completely unfamiliar with Sam Raimi, especially up to now, I mean, Sam right. Raimi is, a, is a, a giant force inside of Hollywood. And I would say that even though he's tied to a bunch of mainstream stuff like this, he is still that alternative force inside of Hollywood. Absolutely. He is not the director that goes and gets the big films because he's a big director in Hollywood. He's a, he gets great films because he's a great director. Yeah. But he is not your average mainstream walking down the street director guy. No, he's he's what I would call a Hollywood geek. Yeah. He yeah. if you've ever, I read Bruce Campbell's book a long time ago <laughs> and they t- he talks extensively about his life with Sam Raimi whom mm-hmm. he's worked with since he was a you know a young man and the filming of the first Evil Dead movie mm-hmm. in case anyone isn't familiar with Sam Raimi and isn't sitting in front of their wiki Evil Dead Evil Dead 2 the Hercules series the Xena series these are some of the things that you would immediately recognize mm-hmm. as, as Sam Raimi property and they all have that that flair they really yes. do and and he's a geek he mm-hmm. he enjoys the technical aspect of it he's watched so many movies and has been so uh, deeply involved in the making of films and the way things should look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You really get love out of what he's doing. You you don't often see a shot, a, a, a shot in a movie and go, oh, that's a Raimi shot. I don't think, I don't see it when I watch a Spielberg film. Oh, the Spielberg shot. That's amazing. You don't see that. You do with Sam Raimi. Yeah. There is a style of filmmaking that this man has that he, he dips into occasionally in Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. He kind of dips into it a little bit. But you can really tell that he's the one shooting this film. Mm-hmm. And just that in, it, in and of itself, and the fact that he loves the, the properties that he gets involved with so deeply, mm-hmm. and the art of filmmaking, the fact that they put him on this film, you couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah, I, I think if there was a signature that was needed for this movie to succeed, even though, you know, I, I kind of look at it as... Okay, here is your dump truck full of gold. Go forth. Because <laughs> right. that's kind of what this movie is. You have what is now the the special effects houses that are now available for a motion picture of this caliber. You look at the long line and legacy of Spider-Man in general. You look at what kind of movies can be made now. And you really got to go out of your way to screw it up. But now you give it to somebody that has the chops, like a Sam Raimi, and you make something that turns into even a bigger pile of gold than when you started. Sure. It's that whole concept of very much like the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network, where you take a bunch of good things, you encircle them, and you make something greater of the whole. That is a perfect sample of what happened here with Spider-Man. Sure, and it's not just Sam Raimi, although a lot of it is just Sam Raimi. But he brings a lot of things with him, a lot of people with him. Uh, the Bruce Campbell cameo for for fans of Absolutely. for fans of Raimi that was something nice. It was a nice touch. But he actually adds flavor he to does. it as opposed Absolutely. to just hey, watch the Sam Raimi joke. Right, exactly. That's not what this and is. That's There's not a completely what that is. different level that in, that strikes. In here. the first movie, he's the uh, the ring announcer yeah. at the. He's the guy that creates the name Spider Man. Right. 
Sam's brother is in the movie. He's mm-hmm. one of the people in uh, JJ's office. Assistant editor, Ness, whatever, right? And mm-hmm. there's an, another thing that is technically a, an inside joke with Sam Raimi, and it's the classic. Sam Raimi's dad's car has been in, or one similar to it, has been in all of his movies. Mm-hmm. It's this uh, yellow 70-something, I'm not entirely sure, it's a Pontiac, I think? We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. And this car appears everywhere. It's Uncle Ben's car in mm-hmm. this film. Mm-hmm. It's another one of those things of, if you're a Sam Raimi fan, then that's hilarious. And if you're not, then it's it's a little touch, a little a little something that, I mean, they could have given Uncle Ben any kind of a car. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it has something that is tied to what this guy does, it's, it's what he brings. It's the package he brings to whatever film he's working right. on. Right, it's another layer of something on a Sunday inside of the overall makeup of Sam Raimi inside of the Spider-Man series. And I love it. I love it. You mentioned the classic, and the classic has actually been destroyed a couple of times in a variety of his movies. Yes. Intentionally. So that it can be disguised and you don't just go, oh, look, silver car. Right. But then they go back and they restore it back to the yellow car. And I, I, I love that. That is another another layer of what you get to eat inside of the DVD features, in particular inside of this one. If you haven't listened to the DVD features inside of this one, also the Blu-ray stuffs, you need to. Because there are a few people that talk about movies with as much passion as this one and Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2's uh, DVD track with Rami is just stellar, golden stuff. Toby Maguire. Now, I gotta be honest, kind of milk toast for me before Spider Man. Yeah, absolutely. And after we finished out with Spider Man, I could never see him as anybody but this original Peter Parker. Sure. I and so had, I, I'm having trouble getting him out of the Peter Parker mode now that he's not Peter Parker anymore. I had uh, reservations. The thing that I knew Toby Maguire from was the Cider House Rules. Yeah. And then I you had would, Pleasantville. That's and, it. Oh, yeah, and Pleasantville for that matter. Yeah. Um, but you would get these images of him, not in costume, not in character, you know, on the red carpet or out and about and whatever. And I'd be like, that guy is just too old to be playing Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. I had reservations about the casting until I saw the movie. Yeah. And then it was, they couldn't possibly have gotten anyone else to p- portray this role. Mm-hmm. He nailed it so completely mm-hmm. as far as I was concerned. There were some problems I had with the character of Peter Parker, which we'll get to. But as far as Tobey Maguire really encompassing not just Peter Parker, which is a hard enough thing to really get a hold of and, and not come across as sniveling or weak or a crybaby, if you will, but also the vivacious Spider-Man, mm-hmm. that wisecracking, smart Alec superhero that everybody knows and loves. Mm-hmm. I think he nails both of them really well. Yeah, I agree with that totally. I, I, again... I liked Tobey Maguire a lot in this role, so much so that I now identify him as Spider-Man whenever I see him in something else at this point. Right. The entire cast. You know, it's it's easy to just go, man, this is a great movie with great people in it, but we really have to exemplify some of the cast. You know, of course, there's Willem Dafoe and Kirsten Dunst, and we'll get to them later. Mm -hmm. James Franco, who I personally have a little bit of a fondness for. I, I really do kind of enjoy his bizarre antics and his work. Rosemary Harris played uh, Aunt May. Aunt May, right. Who was a picture-perfect spot-on. Wow, they took, the, again, the pointing at the comic book, exactly. looking at what they did, perfect. Uh, Cliff Robertson. You know, mm-hmm. if that was the only thing you ever knew him for, then you really need to go and watch all of his, all of his vast work that he'd done Amazing in, in stuff. Hollywood. And being one of the last things we ever saw him in, once again, spot-on, that speech in the car, I mean... 
you really got the feeling that he really was Uncle Ben. Yeah. You, you really got that. That was. Well, and if the if the words inside the comic book bubble, thought bubble, and then from Ben inside of the actual talkie bubble inside of the comic book didn't yeah. resonate, well, then it surely as hell resonates when you see Cliff Robertson delivering the, the stuff. It's just Absolutely. awesome stuff. I think probably the best portrayal of anyone, even better than Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. as Peter Parker in this entire film was J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, oh my God. Yeah. Did, when he came on screen, you bought that. Yeah, he was absolute, definitely that character. Absolutely ripped from the page. And of course, I remember J.K. Simmons from Oz, where he played the, right, right. the Sig Heil white supremacist guy <laughs> who ends up bending over literally everybody inside of inside of the prison. And so what what a weird, strange haul it was for him to come into this and totally hit a home run. I mean, it doesn't get any more home run than that. No. One of the other characters that I didn't until today realize that this actor portrayed Flash Thompson, Spider-Man's high school bully, was Joe Manganiello, who right. is... On True Blood, and right. if you haven't checked it out, go over and check out the Fang Banger podcast mm-hmm. here on the Two Guys Talking Network, where we, Mike and I, review True Blood. And, I had and, no and, idea it was him. Yeah, and now when I think back at it, I'm like, of course. Yeah, and, and what, what we talked about inside of the the prelude here was that he obviously has toned up since then, and it looks like he may have actually gotten some werewolf hair or something from someplace. Because he didn't have all that inside of the portrayal of Flash Thompson. Uh, not string bean, definitely athletic looking, but way more hair now than way back then. And oh, yeah. Just com- well, completely different. 10 years ago, Mike. I mean, well, And, really. you know, uh, we, we kind of skirted over Kirsten Dunst because we are going to talk about her a little bit later. But the, the stills that we got from her that were unfortunately from probably bottom of neck up were yeah. spot on. Yeah. They, they were at, they were pictures of a beauty queen that would have appeared inside of any New York magazine as a wonderful red-haired gazelle inside of the the jungle of New York City. Sure. And so again, just total home run for content in regard to Spider-Man. Yeah, just a couple of other names that go look them up right now and then look at their au revoir. Bill Nunn, who played Robbie, Jack Betts. If you don't know who Jack is. Uh, it's one of those, oh, it's that guy. Go check out him. Go look him up. Check him out. Obviously, we mentioned Bruce Campbell. And, of course, uh, Randy the Macho Man Savage mm-hmm. as Bonesaw. And his, his actual swan song inside of feature films, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that was the last thing he did yeah. uh, on and the big screen. You know what? Inside of the big screen, you actually get to see why he may have had a heart attack because of the... Yeah, it was a little over the top. Yes, but it was good, and it was uh, it was very forthright. The embodiment of Peter's piling on. For those of you that are fans of Spider-Man, you'll get what I'm talking about. For those that are only accidental fans of Spider-Man, and maybe just fans of the Spider-Man movies, you might not get this. But the gist of Peter Parker is that in addition to him being the, wow, look at the idiot that is the young kid, smart, genius guy that everybody likes to pick on, Peter always has and will always have problems in his life, even if he's got things going good for him. And the piling on of the things as they happen and get bad and worse is shown wonderfully throughout all three of these films, not just this first one, but it's where something will go wrong. And then let's shovel on something else. Oh, and by the way, while you're shoveling that, let's shovel some of this on. Oh, and let's top it off with this. Oh, but with a cracker on top that is also some more. Right. And Sam Raimi knows how to do that in every single movie that he's directed that is Spider-Man based. Just 
absolute perfect piling on of Peter Parkerness inside of all of his films. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the idea that Peter's got the problems of an average teenager. Is he going to do well in school? Is the beautiful girl going to pay attention to him? Is the douchebag jock going to beat him up today? He's also got the, I'm also an orphan, and I live with my elderly aunt and uncle, and my uncle suddenly dies. And how's my aunt going to pay the bills? Oh, and I'm also, how am I going to get to go to college? How am I going to pay for college? You know, oh, and, and then there's then the I'm a superhero, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm a superhero <laughs> yeah. thing. And, of course, he's trying to keep this uh, this this a secret. So they're just keeping just keeping your identity a secret is a huge burden to dump on top of all these other, quote, mundane things he's got going on. Right. And then you go to the next level on top of this thick layer of secret – you go to the problems that Spider-Man has, the villains, the enemies. Will the people J- I love end up getting dead? J. Jonah Jameson and his <laughs> quest Maligning to him. make yeah. him, you know, into a criminal. Menace, what the, menace? The police yeah. are after him. Yeah, and every time you turn around, there's something else yeah. that this guy's got to deal with. And the fact that Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi and company really show these things being loaded on and loaded on and loaded on. And the true strength of this character, the true strength of this hero, is that he gets up and he goes to school and he works a job and he gives his aunt the money and he puts on this costume when he should be dead tired and goes out and does the the good deeds that he should be doing and lives by the code that his uncle helped instill in him. And he does it. And he cracks wise and he gets and rises above it and the mm-hmm. fact that he can rise above all of these challenges is really the strength of this superhero it's not only the strength of the superhero but it is what i think this piling on factor that i don't know everybody understands is exactly why i think so many people gravitate towards him because he is the superhero that very often doesn't win the day and guess what more life piles on top. And I think a lot of us feel that way a lot of the time. Yeah. And so, again, that, that carryover from what was inside of the written page of the comic books, all the iterations of the comic books, is absolutely inside of this film, Spider-Man. 2002, directed by Sam Raimi. The soundtrack. Now, just in this last few minutes, talking about the embodiment of Peter's piling on, we've talked about every single instance inside of the film that takes you up and down on a roller coaster. What we haven't talked yet about is the way that the music inside of this wonderful movie, created by Danny Elfman, an absolute master of soundtrackery, pushes you up and down, sideways, upside down, climbing up walls, and into the heart of a hero that all of us feels a bit endeared towards. It is a wonderful soundtrack. I've embodied some of that soundtrack here and peppered throughout this podcast. And remember, we want you to go to our website at twoguystalking.com forward slash Spider-Man and buy the soundtrack via our website. Every time you buy the soundtrack via our website, we get a little kickback and you get some great music, whether it be via the delivered CD or via the electronic tracks that you can download right now. Twoguystalking.com forward slash Spider-Man. You know, and I'm not the big soundtrack lover that Mike is. I enjoy music and I think that, you know, try and watch a movie without the music and it's a completely, it's different, a completely different experience. It's a completely different um, So I, I appreciate it um, but not to the levels I think that, that Mike does. And Well, hold, and I'm going to time out there because here, there, I know there's one area inside of this movie that you'll remember the soundtrack and it's when Peter learns that he can crawl up walls 
If you don't remember that, then you'll never have any concept of the way soundtracks attract people. And it, it's it's amazing. <laughs> it's a, it, it's appropriately amazing that it takes you from I don't know what I'm looking at, and he puts his hand on the wall, and you hear rum, 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 and he starts scaling the wall, and suddenly you're in this wonderful score created by Danny Elfman, and it it would be completely a different story if Danny Elfman wasn't creating this wonderful tapestry of music. It, oh, it's absolutely! Just, it just is a it is a it is a total carry across inside of. You know, reading the comic book, I would expect to hear this music, and, and I, I love that. I think that was the point I was going to make, was that there was something about this soundtrack that was vibrant and fresh, mm-hmm. and at the same time, incredibly familiar. I don't yeah. think that it, yeah. I don't think they went back like I think maybe the X-Men score did a little bit for the first X-Men movie, and looked at things that had come prior to it, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, television Bottom. shows or, um, mm-hmm. you know, cartoons or whatever. But when you hear the music, it's the Spider-Man music. Yeah. And it's not because it's from that movie, although it is, obviously, but because it fits so well. Yeah. And it's something that Danny Elfman does. Uh, He really does. Somebody told him, okay, the concrete jungle. And now that you and the audience and everybody that will ever listen to this podcast has heard those words, you can now exactly understand that when Danny Elfman goes, Spider-Man, Sam Raimi, concrete and jungle. Here you go, have a nice day. <laughs> it is wonderfully crafted. It's great stuff. And remember, you can listen to all of it right now. Samples or buy the whole thing over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Spider-Man. David, it's time to take a break here during the Two Guys Talking perspective review of Spider-Man 2002 directed by Sam Raimi. We'll be right back. This is Paul's Tree Service. A person is calling through Relay, Missouri. This is Operator. Uh, thanks, but we're not interested. Who is that? Uh, just one of those annoying telemarketers. Wrong. You just hung up on a customer. One who wanted to spend money with your business. A customer who happens to be deaf, hard of hearing, or who has a speech disability. Calling you through Relay, Missouri. Relay Missouri is a free service that allows people who are deaf, hard of hearing, or who have a speech disability to communicate over the telephone with you and your business. Don't hang up. This could be new business. For more information on Relay Missouri, take a minute to log on to RelayMissouri.com and open the door to a whole new group of customers. Become part of a growing community that is silent but can speak volumes for your business. Relay Missouri brings the hearing and deaf, hard of hearing, and people with speech disabilities together at no charge with no sign-up and no monthly fee. Log on to RelayMissouri.com and find out how you can start communicating with these new customers today. Don't miss your serving of straightforward life experience on the Life on the Half Shelly podcast, www.onthehalfshelly.com. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Are you a fang banger? Ah, a True Blood fan, I see. Don't miss the hour-by-hour coverage of everyone's favorite vampire, werewolf, undead weekly feature, 
True Blood on HBO. Each and every hour covered with Two Guys Talking Zone, David Carite. Check it all out now at fangbangerpodcast.com. Fight Ribbon Clothing Company. Clothing and fight gear on a mission. Fight Ribbon is the original MMA clothing company built from the ground up for fighters and fans. Clothing with a purpose. The new face of cancer awareness. Fight Ribbon Clothing Company. Because what you wear matters. Visit fightribbon.com. Poker's been around a long time. The memories, the cards, the money, the players. It all makes for an outstanding experience. But where can you get true knowledge, tips, tricks, and detail? There's never been a better time to shuffle up and deal than with the poker educators and commentators of TwoGuysTalkingPoker.com. Join poker zealots and regular tournament players Vic Porcelli and Andy Kazin as they provide you the need-to-know information about upcoming poker tournaments, detailed hand strategy segments, and continued interviews with poker industry players, showrunners, mentors, and more. It's the Two Guys Talking Poker Podcast, who recently welcomed poker perspective changers like Bernard Lee, Alan Kessler, and the fossil man himself, Greg Raymer. It's time to change your perspective and experience on poker with TwoGuysTalkingPoker.com. Find out more today at TwoGuysTalkingPoker.com. That's TwoGuysTalkingPoker.com. May the Force be with you. I'm Bob Chrisman from the Galaxy Cast Podcast, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review via the Nostalgia Engine of Spider-Man 2002, directed by Sam Raimi. Just as every movie has the good list, there's also the bad. Two Guys Talking Spider-Man. Organic web shooters. (laughs) Yeah. So let's discuss this. <laughs> I, okay. All right. So first I'm going to show you an example of where changing the source material works. Okay? Yes. Yes, Daddy Warbucks. Tell me. So first of all, when you have something as iconic and you raved at, at length at the beginning of this podcast about how iconic Spider-Man is, yes. how inde- indelible, how immediately recognizable how from 8 to 80 you recognize Spider-Man and you know just by the pattern of his costume or the shape of his head Mm -hmm. what you're going to get. Yes. In this movie, they changed a few things for whatever reason. Uh, The movie was portrayed and it it didn't take away from the film as a whole except it's one of those things that every time I saw it, it made me, it, it, Pulled me out of their film. Right. Because it wasn't Spider-Man. It's a David Earthquake. So a good example of (laughs) of altering the source material is how Peter gets his powers. Okay. Because in the original, he's there taking pictures of an experiment, and a spider accidentally gets caught in the experiment and gets irradiated, and it bites him. As opposed to there being a display of these mega spiders. Mega things. spiders, these genetically engineered and hyperactive red and blue massive spiders. Massive red and blue spiders, right. <laughs> right. So what they did was they they altered they altered the source material 
but in a way that didn't distract from what was going on, didn't take away from the story in any way, presented it in sort of a more modern, today's science kind of a, mm-hmm. an angle to yes. it, which worked. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. I bought that. Yes. I didn't find that as a horrible distraction from their uh, film. I totally agree. The organic web shooters, on the other hand, did the exact opposite to me. Part of who Peter Parker is, I've read Spider-Man since I was maybe five years old, six years old um, in the 70s. Part of who Peter Parker is, is a scientist. He's a scientist, man. He makes Vankman look like a chump. He is a brilliant young man who, on a limited budget, with limited supplies, manages to create not only the chemical compound for his web web Mess. formula, uh-huh. but also the mechanical projectors for it. Mm-hmm. That is part of the essence of who Peter Parker is and part of the essence of who Spider-Man is. I can't tell you how many times I read a comic where Spider-Man had to start relying on other things because he ran out of web fluid. Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember that vividly. This is something that the only thing they could concoct to make Spider-Man run out of web fluid in this universe was he had some kind of an emotional blockage that wouldn't let him use his powers anymore. Emotionally constipated. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, which they get to in you know the second movie. But in the first movie, I knew, watching their film, that he was never going to run out of web because they're right there in his arm. Beep, 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 You know, little tiny anuses on his wrist or whatever they were. I, I wasn't anus sure if he... man, anus I man. I wasn't sure if somebody had burned him with a cigar or something. Maybe <laughs> Uncle Ben was kind of a douche and burned him on his wrist. With great power comes great responsibility. Right, exactly. Right. So it, it was a huge distraction for me. I thought it was a poor choice if it had added five minutes to the movie to show what a chemical and mechanical genius Peter Parker was to put them back, to put the mechanical web shooters in, the new movie, The Amazing Spider-Man, that's about to come out here this year, he's got mechanical web shooters. Mm-hmm. Ten years uh, later. Ten years ten years later, but either way, it, it's an integral part of the story, and I think removing it detracted from the overall experience. Okay, so now that you've bloviated for going on eight or so minutes on the... <laughs> The organic web shooters, I can't disagree with that. I do think that it takes an element out of, but I also think it puts an element back in of people are going to talk about it. And I think ultimately they knew what they were creating. They knew the genius of what they were making with this film and making something that is something that people can talk about and will talk about at length, in particular inside of comic book stores, I think was a great goal in in doing that. Thumbs up for that. Now, what I didn't like that I totally also agree with is our next point. Two guys talking. Spider-Man. The de-geniusing of Peter Parker. Now, I totally agree with you. Peter Parker was that kid with the super thick glasses that knew way too much than he should have known. Everybody had the same kid inside of a chemistry class when you and I were kids. Yeah. There was that kid who, okay, well, you know, if a spider bit his ass, he'd be Spider-Man. Yeah. And that was who Peter Parker was supposed to be. Yes, I totally agree. I think we're going to see a little snippet of that inside of this next film. But I think it's going to be a snippet as opposed to being a gargantuan piece of what's going to be inside of this next film. And that's why we didn't see it inside of the original film here with Tobey Maguire. You know, I'm, I can't uh, prognosticate what's going to happen in a movie I haven't seen. 
Um, I can only go off of the the little bit of media that I've managed to see and, you know, the occasional website I've read. I think it's going to be a major part of this film mm-hmm. that he is, in fact, this genius kid. Mm-hmm. It's sort of what helps alienate him because that's also the other thing is, you know, Peter is bullied. Peter is the nerd and people pick on him because he is the nerd. Mm-hmm. And anybody who has been in high school, whether they were the jock or the nerd or the in-between knows the dynamic. They see it. This guy is smart, and he scares me, and I'm going to flush his head down the toilet this afternoon. Mm -hmm. Peter is that kid, and Mm -hmm. I think that playing up the genius of Peter Parker, as opposed to the social awkwardness or the quietness or whatever they tried to play up in this original film, Mm -hmm. immediately lends to the outcast, the Mm -hmm. ostracized, because he is so smart. Mm -hmm. And I hope that they play that up, because that is one of the things also that I, I agree was totally missing from this film. It seemed to me that Peter was an outcast and was a bit picked on because he was Pokey Parker that lived with his old aunt and uncle, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the mega brain that people just were could not understand. They couldn't fathom somebody that was that smart. Well, and I, I think I think a component of that is that to give you way more of that dichotomy of okay, here's Spider Man. We all know everybody's going to love Spider Man because he's Spider Man, mm-hmm. and so we need to give them something else in regard to not stand behind, but to go oh, and Parker. Well, if he is this genius kid, you don't have the opportunity to go oh, and then there's Parker. Where you do have that opportunity if there isn't one. The bottom line is that the people here are going to decide which way it is. So let us know what you think by going to our website over at, uh, why don't you just go to twoguystalking.com forward slash Spider-Man. There's going to be a contact button on the top right-hand side of the page. Click on the contact button, fill out the quick web form, and let us know what you think about the web shooters and the de-geniusing of one Peter Parker. Mary Jane, also known as Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, part of my problem with this... Okay, wait. I don't really have a problem with the fact that they use Mary Jane, per se. I don't have a problem with blah, 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 blah. So I don't have a problem with Mary Jane being in the film, per sure se. Sure you don't. Because when you think of Peter Parker, he you know falls in love with and marries the beautiful red-haired Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. But Spider-Man's original love, the girl that Mary Jane eventually <sighs> took the place of, <sighs> is Gwen Stacy. Whatever, Mike. <laughs> and Gwen Stacy. And here we have a wonderfully golden-tressed Kirsten Dunst, and they put the fake red on her. Why, could, why they couldn't cast her as Gwen Stacy, I, I don't know. Anybody who's familiar with the story of Spider-Man knows that Gwen was the girl he loved. It was his high school sweetheart. And the Green Goblin chucks her off the Brooklyn Bridge. Strangely enough, inside of this film... Green Goblin chucks Mary Jane off the bridge. Only that resolution comes a little better than the way it worked in the Uh, comics. A ton better, yeah. So the idea that they shoehorned Mary Jane in as opposed to going with what would have been a little bit more organic, I think, um, once again, it's one of those choices where they they decided to step away from canon or from the source material, and it worked. Carson Dunst played the char- the ca- the character very well. Mm-hmm. The fact that she was an actress, that all that worked for me. I just think that skipping out on something that was so important, and once again, coming from having read Spider-Man comics for forever, the idea of not even, I, well, I mean, I guess they do kind of bring her in in the third movie, but that was, and which is bizarre because they take the red-haired Bryce Howard and make her blonde. Make her blonde. Uh, I the entire thing was a little bit wanky for me, I think is what I'm saying. They they could have used Gwen Stacy instead of, yeah, 
I don't know. Inside of the original Spider-Man, I'm fine with Mary Jane. That it wasn't Gwen Stacy, I'm okay with that. I don't have any problem there. As we got along with what they turned Mary Jane into across the films, uh, uh, not so much. I I had trouble over the the course of the three films. I would have liked to have seen something different when they got to the end of the third film, which you can listen to our review of that, by the way, over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Spider-Man to listen to that review, which, again, is still one of those weird chemistry experiments of their own of why that is so still still so popular after so many years. Yeah. Because it was not that great a movie. Maybe it's just that good a, a movie review because we kind of gave that one the, the high hog of entertainment review. The bottom line was I was okay with Kirsten Dunst as Mary Jane. I just didn't like where they took her as a character because Mary Jane in the comic books, without question, was the light. There was all that rough time with with Gwen Stacy and her death and having to cope with it in Green Goblin, yes. But the light, in particular during the 80s, was Mary Jane. There's no no doubt about it. Sure. And that that's what they tried to grab was that flavor and then push that through the rest of the storyline. I was okay with that. I just didn't like where they went with it. Two guys talking. Spider-Man. Willem Dafoe and the Green Goblin. This is something that I think everybody will have pluses and minuses on. Unfortunately, I think there are many more minuses that completely outweigh any benefit that we saw inside of the conjuring of the Green Goblin inside the original Spider-Man. Absolutely. The first and foremost has to be what the Green Goblin ended up being which was an extreme motorcycle rider with a green helmet. Yeah. It, it was almost it. it was almost it was almost an, an Iron Man interpretation. It it really felt that way. In fact, they even took that it was you know, military blah. Yeah, military grade. Right on this thing right, with, a, yeah. with a suit of armor on. Yes. And that's exactly what it looked like. That you evoke Iron Man is perfect. One of the things that I just showed David yesterday when we were when we were recording our X Men First Class perspective review was a wonderful video shot of the test makeup and prosthetics for a Green Goblin mask yeah. that was supposed to be used in the original Spider Man. It's something that surfaced just late last year. And it really is something to marvel at. They put it on and anything that you can remember inside of the best CGI of Yoda being conjured for any of the first three Star Wars films, you get to see done with animatronics and a green goblin head inside this video. He gets angry, he gets mad, he looks kind of happy and satiated, all of it across the whole spectrum inside this short movie that will also tie into the show notes over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Spider-Man. And I don't know why it wasn't used. I think Willem Dafoe's face would have been more ornately showcased with that yep. than behind this. You kind of see his mouth moving inside of the, the grill of yeah. the mask. And then the rest of it, you can't, there is no expression at all. There isn't any awkward moment where he removes the mask to talk and blah, 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 and then puts the mask back on like right. Tobey Maguire does 30 times during the movie. Sure. And a totally missed mark especially with somebody as wonderfully available to provide character expertise as Willem Dafoe. When you have an actor like Willem Dafoe in a movie, the very first thing you say is, man, that guy is incredibly expressive. You couldn't have gotten a better guy, a face actor. He's a face actor. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's going to give you Every so much. He's, on the he's going to give you so much with his eyes and his brows and you know his chin. and it just He's going to give you all that in your film, how lucky you are. Oh, but we're going to stick him behind uh, an immovable steel mask. 
for half of the film. Yeah. Uh, oh. Okay. And then we're going to cackling on an audio track. Right, exactly. <sighs> you know, here's a perfect example. Take the scene, the Thanksgiving scene and all of the expression and all of the, you know, just by his face, the minute he figures out that Peter is Spider-Man. You see this because you have such an expressive actor mm-hmm. who can do these amazing things on film. Oh, but we're gonna ju- we're we're gonna slap a piece of plastic over his face, so you can't get any of that. Dumbfounded, yeah. I was of all the things that I've said: the organic web shooters, the use of Mary Jane instead of Gwen Stacy, the the things, the little nitpicks, the things I said that pulled me out of the film. The thing that really is really the only bad part of this film is the Green Goblin. Yeah. Yeah, and and sadly, half of what Willem Dafoe delivers as a performance because it's covered up with a mask. Every instant that he is on screen, if it was him on screen, when he is behind the mask, is a detractor for the Green Goblin. I don't know how to be more plain. Yeah. And when that's the maniacal head villain, well, you know, you kind of get what you sum up, and I didn't like the sum total there at all. So what did you guys think of the Green Goblin? Are we too... Are we too nitpicky here about what we saw in regard to the Green Goblin in regard to Willem Dafoe's performance? Let us know what you think by going to our website over at twoguystalking.com forward slash Spider-Man. Click on the contact button and let us know what you thought of this 2002 movie directed by Sam Raimi. So we come to the part of the Two Guys Talking perspective review inside the nostalgia engine of Spider-Man 2002 directed by Sam Raimi. David, where are you with this film? This film really set the stage for the flood of superhero and uh, comic movies that have come since. Mm-hmm. Some of them horrible, Jonah Hex. Some of them incredible and amazing, Captain America. Even in its own, even in its own litany, incredible Spider-Man Two, which has got to be one of the top four, top three mm-hmm. superhero movies ever made. Yep. And then, of course, Spider-Man 3, which has got to be on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. It was, at the time, just an incredible work of CGI, of costuming, um, casting. Uh, I'm a Sam Raimi fan. The fact that he got to go and really play with a huge toy box and toolkit for a, a massive film like this showed that he can not only do these kinds of films, but he should be doing these mm-hmm. kinds of films. And succeed with and them. And succeed with them. Yeah. The cast, we went down the list of just perfect, perfect people they had for this. The experience I had sitting in the theater and watching it, the memories I've had since, uh, the fact that when I see this film on, I will stop and watch it. It was then and it is now an incredible work of not just film, but of bringing the comic book from the page to the screen, which is one of the things I think that is essential when you're taking source material and translating it to a different medium like that. Uh, I give this film an eight. I think eight is a great score for this film. There's a bit of a different tone inside this movie that makes me want to always watch this film. And it's not so much that it takes me out of what is kind of my normal mundane life and puts me into the superhero life. It is when we get to the last two or three minutes of the film where inside of traditional movies, in particular something starring a giant red and blue superhero, you expect there to be all kinds of chimes and happy music. And what we get at the end of Spider-Man is something solely different. What we get is, on the tail end of this rip-roaring, non-stop action, smart-aleck, smart-acid-filled action fest, 
What you end up getting is, instead of Peter Parker saying, and I love you too, Mary Jane, you get yet another crushing heap of heap-onto Peter Parker, where he realizes that he can never love anybody because they too will be a target for whoever doesn't like Spider-Man. And so that moment that Sam creates along with the rest of the actors, the cast and the screenplay writers creates a moment inside of comic book movie history that I love to see because not only does it propel you into another movie, it really does show the flavor and character and it creates a perfect showcase of not only what propels you into the next movie, but of what you have really just seen. Yes, you've seen this giant action-packed movie, but during the whole thing, it's been a life lesson for Peter to go from what he was, the, the loser kid running after the school bus at the beginning of it, into something that is going to metamorphosize over a series of films that you're going to get to watch firsthand thanks to Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, and all the other people that create this new universe. And that's exciting to me. I, I think that it's a, it's a perfect shove and a wedge that allows you to literally peek past what is at the end of this movie into the next movie. And so I give this movie a nine. I, I, I think it, again, is one of the watershed moments inside of superhero comic book movies that really cannot be forgotten. This will be one that I think uh, helps propel really good comic book movie making. You can go back to this movie and go, and this is what we need to make, not this, and point to the third film. And so what did you think of Spider-Man? The original film, 2002, directed by Sam Raimi, starring Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, and a cast of others that have gone on to many more different and diverse things. Let us know what you think of this movie by going over to twoguystalking.com forward slash Spider-Man, fill out the quick web form after hitting the contact button, and let us know what you think. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm David Kreet, your other host. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. If you've paid attention this long, then you should know that you're just a few clicks and thoughts from a hundred bucks cash. Check out twoguystalking.com forward slash gauntlet now and navigate the Two Guys Talking Feedback Gauntlet. Five short steps will get you in the running for a hundred dollars cash and other prizes thanks to our sponsors. Why not take the time to tell us what you think, good or bad, but also get into the chance for a hundred dollars cash. Skrilla, Cheddar, bacon the money who else is offering you cash for what you think again check out twoguystalking.com forward slash gauntlet and tell us what you think you can enter as many times as you can send salient feedback it's all here waiting for you to participate and only from two guys talking
Spider-Man! Good times. Great stuff.